Have you ever had a civil discussion with someone you disagreed with or who had a different perspective than you? If you have, what did you learn? Here on The Moderate Review, we try to have these kinds of discussions. So, let's talk. On this episode of The Moderate Review, we're going to take a break from our series on religion and talk about a current event that is happening right now. Our series on religion will conclude next month. But for this episode and the following episode, I interview Gabby Perez-Pino about what it was like growing up in Cuba. So, let's talk. I think one unpopular opinion that I just recently discovered I have is that everyone can be successful in this country, no matter their social class, country of birth, ethnicity, or race, or even sexual preference. And I think it's unpopular because very recently I've been seeing on social media, on TV, everywhere, that there are problems with racism and discrimination in the country but since I've been here I've only seen successful people no matter what they look like. Okay thank you that's actually kind of interesting I mean maybe it's just so much of the news that they say because you're a um, a minority or you're whatever you're ex what you know that um, you can't be successful that the, the system is uh, you know bound to push you down trying to keep you down but that's that's interesting, you know. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And so, could you give me a little bit more background about you and maybe why and and why um, uh, why we're talking about Cuba in particular? Yes. So I was born in Cuba, nineteen ninety-seven. The we were under Fidel Castro's regime at the time, a communist dictatorship. Um, actually, at that year was when the Pope came to Cuba and we started celebrating Christmas for the first time since 1959, when Fidel took power. So it's a very important year in Cuba, um, wow. in history for Cuba, yeah. So I left Cuba when I was 17 years old. I moved to Spain. Um, that's another story, but the way I went out was with a Spanish passport. I had Spanish ancestors. And I had the opportunity to be to become a Spanish citizen, and then with a Spanish passport, I was able to escape Cuba with my family. Um, after that, two years living in Spain, we came to the U.S. and we were able to stay here thanks to a law that was uh, available at the moment. It was called the dry feed, wet feed law which meant that if you were caught in the U.S. or entering the U.S., but you had your um, feet dry, so not in the water, like many Cubans come, you know, on rafts. And so we could stay here legally, and that's what we did. We came we came in a plane, but because our feet were dry, we didn't come through water, and our feet were dry, we were able to stay legally in the U.S., and that was in 2016. Wow. And so that's actually, that's pretty amazing. I know you told me that in the past, but uh, that's really cool. And so if you don't mind me asking this, um, I guess before we go any farther, could you maybe give me like a brief history of Cuba and uh, maybe explain how the Castros came into power and, and what it, life was like under the Castro re- regime? Yeah, of course. So Cuban history, I would say, starts when Cristobal Colón colonized us, the Spanish. That was in... 1492 and 
um, we were under we were a colony of Spain until 1998, more or less, when we had the Spanish-American War in Cuba. And with that war, Americans won, and um, they would say Cubans won, but actually would stay under the power of the U.S. somehow. It was kind of Puerto Rico at, at the moment. We had uh, many presidents that were actually um, supporting the military in the U.S., and the, yeah, the, the elections and everything was controlled by the U.S. in Cuba. We had a big dictator right before Castro. His name was Batista, and he was a dictator. Oof, I don't remember exactly the year. I think it was 1952 until 1959. Um, during that time, yes, there was a lot of inequality in the country. Um, Cuba, especially Havana, looked a lot like Las Vegas. It was one of the most popular and advanced countries in Latin America and America in general. And it was also one of the first countries to have TV for the first time. And it was it was very advanced. But also in the countryside, there were very poor people that were not able to attend school, that were working the fields. And yes, like... It was the same as what was happening in many other countries of Latin America at the moment. Now, that's the excuse that communists use to compare the before Fidel Castro to the regime of Fidel Castro, you know? Mm. But it's something to have in mind that at the moment, in that moment in history, all countries in Latin America, or I'm not going to say all, but most of them had the same problem. Many people didn't know how to read, how to write, but Cuba was a very prosperous country. Like there were businesses, there was trade. Um, it was great. Okay, so in that aspect, so now Fidel Castro, he and other um, Cubans, they initiated a revolution. Um, they have different groups in the east of the country, but also in the west. Those were the biggest revolutionary groups. They were all led by different people. And somehow, at the very end, it was Fidel Castro who remained and the one who took power. They did a coup d'etat. So Wikiwans didn't vote for Fidel Castro. Wikiwans never voted for communism. Okay? It was a coup d'etat. And another important thing to know, I think, is that, yes, Fidel Castro had Many, many people following him, supporting him. Um, many Cubans that wanted to get rid of the Batista dictatorship. But the thing is that Fidel lied to us. He lied to his people. Fidel Castro said that he would never go for communism. He would never go for socialism. And he lied to us. So during the regime of Fidel Castro, who died in 2016, uh, we never had elections. Never. We were not allowed to go to church. We were not allowed to start our own businesses. Everything was property of the government. Still is. You had to go with the government. You couldn't say an opinion that was against communism or socialism. They would kill people for going to church. They would unemploy people for going to church, for believing in God, for not having a picture of Fidel Castro in their house. Stuff like that. Many, many killings occurred in that, in that time. 
a lot of political prisoners. And it was a very sad time. In the 80s, there was a big immigration from of Cubans to the U.S. They all built their rafts and there were boats coming from the U.S. to pick up Cubans and, you know, people who were here and picking up their families. And Fidel Castro allowed that. That was only one year in the 80s. I don't remember exactly which year. But other than that, if you ever tried to go out of Cuba, you would get killed. Or if you made it out of Cuba, they would kill your family. They would arrest your family. Your family will lose their jobs. They will be seen very, very bad by the society. They would have people come to their doors and throw eggs at their houses. Terrible. They would even take kids from school to throw eggs at the friends that were going out of the country, you know? Mm -hmm. So then in the 90s, there was another moment in which Fidel Castro said, okay, if you're not with the revolution, we don't want you here. Take your chance, go out. So again, happened the same thing. A lot of people immigrated into the U.S. and a lot of boats and ships from the U.S. coming to pick up Cubans and bringing them to the U.S. Now, um, I want you to pay attention to this. Fidel Castro, when he let everyone go freely, you know what he did? He opened the prisons. He let out mm. criminals. He opened the hospitals and he let out people with mental illnesses. He let out people who raped, people who stole. The worst of society was out and he was taking them, putting them in boats. They couldn't refuse to that. They just put them in the boats and send them to the U.S. That's how bad Fidel Castro was. Now, again, he closed that opportunity and many people have been risking their lives trying to come to the U.S. in a raft, trying to come to freedom. Oh, something very curious that I just remember. You, you were not able or you were not allowed to listen to the Beatles in Cuba. Really? Why yes. is that? Just because it, they maybe in their songs they sound something about capitalism or who knows why. You are not able to read books that you're able to read here, such as 1984 and Rebellion in the Farm and all these books. Now, my grandma, she's 20 years, she was 20 years old when Fidel Castro came to power and she had many books. She knew people that could bring her books and she managed to have some books that we were not allowed to have. When oh. yeah, so she had this book, 1984. She act actually lent it to a friend of hers, and the friend said she lost it. But we all know that she dis she make it disappear, you know. Mm. So there are many interesting things about Kiwa that people don't know. I could be talking for hours here. Like people are not allowed to have milk after they're seven years old. So kids stop having milk after seven years old. You're not allowed to have more milk. You're not allowed to kill your own cow. You're not allowed to eat red meat. That's only for tourists. You are not allowed to fish and eat your fish. That's only for the government to sell to tourists and to export. Um, so yeah, many things like that. But talking about history, so that I can finish with this section, 2016, when we came to the U.S., Fidel Castro dies. There was a big party in Miami because he did a lot of harm to many Cubans. 
to humanity. So everyone was happy that he died. But then his brother took power, Raul Castro. And in 2019, they chose someone else from the Communist Party, which is actually the only party, the only, the only political party that we're allowed to have. They just took someone from there and they put it in power. So his name is Miguel Díaz-Canel. He's the actual president of Cuba. No one voted for him. No one even knew who he was. That's the, that's the kind of country, the kind of dictatorship and everything that we have in Cuba. That's the wow. present. Wow, that's really crazy. You know, So I guess uh, because you kind of told a lot about the history of Cuba and because I kind of would like to know more, kind of hear more about your side. So how was your family particularly affected under the Castro regime? Well, I'm going to start by saying that my family is, I would say, completely split up because of communism. Because my father's family is very communist. My father's parents, they belong to many, like my grandparents, father for example he used to fight with Fidel Castro and with with the revolutionaries and after Fidel Castro took power my grandfather was giving cars and houses that actually belonged to people that were against Castro and he took the power and he killed them so all those houses and belongings they give to communism supporters so yes my grandpa was one of them very communist my grandma too, she she was actually the leader of something in Cuba that is called CDR, CDR, which means Comité de Defensa Revolucionaria. It actually is like a mini organization that we have in every neighborhood where there is a leader and that leader takes care of people. What I mean by takes care of people, that leader has to report anything that goes around the neighborhood if someone is wearing a u.s flag in their head needs to get reported someone is selling something needs to get reported because no one is allowed to sell anything only the government someone is playing dominoes for example for money that person needs to get reported so my grandma very communist too she was the leader of one of those organizations and that caused many problems because my dad he was against the revolution. He was against Fidel Castro, against communism. And of course, the family on that side split up. My dad's siblings were also against communism. And my grandma has a big picture of Fidel Castro in her living room. My sister and I, you know, my parents, they taught us to go see our grandma. She's our grandma. But every time we go, she, tries, she always tried to bring washes. Um, then we go home and then there is an argument, you know, mm. all these political opinions cause arguments in the family. And especially when you put the government before your family, when the government, when a political figure, when a dictator is more important than your family, the family splits up. And that's what happened to my family. Another thing, how communism affected my family was because my dad, as I said before, he was very against communism, so um, he would always talk about against communism, and he would get us in trouble. For example, my family was not allowed to have phone service because we were not communist enough. That's what they said. 
We really? were not allowed to have cell phones, not allowed to have any kind of phone communication because we weren't, we didn't deserve it. That's what they said. My dad would have problems at work because he wouldn't go to revolutionary march, and and so and so and so. We okay. had to we had to get out of Cuba because if we didn't, my dad would have done something crazy for Cubans, you know, and he would get us in trouble. He would go to prison. He would get killed. Who knows what would have happened? So. We needed to go out. We needed to be free. Just a few follow-up questions you know, about that. So you did say how um, you were denied phone service just because you weren't communist enough. And so, like, how would they decide if you were you were communist enough? Well, they just, they have their meetings once once a month, more or less, where they discuss what's going on in the neighborhood, neighborhood who's doing well, who isn't. And... Always in those meetings, my dad would always bring up comments. For example, why don't we have water? Why is there water in the hotels? For example, um, why don't we have this? And there, there it is for, for tourists or for government people. So those comments bothered them. Also, for example, we had to do guards. I don't know if that's the correct word, but like watching out the neighborhood once a week at night to make sure that no one was stealing, that no one was doing anything mm. wrong. And we never wanted to do that. Never wanted to do that. We never wanted to be part of that. We were never, my family, my dad, my mom, my, my other grandma, I mean, we would never tell on someone, and that's what they don't like. That's why we're not communist enough. Because to be communist, you need to be willing to make other people get in trouble, go to prison, get beat up, and we are not like that. Another question I do have, you did say I would like go to prison and you know and such. So like what were those prisons like? If you don't mind me asking or if you don't yeah. know, that's you're totally fine. Um, first of all, I would like to take the moment to let you know and anyone that's listening, um, of a movie that recently came out. It's called Plantados. I'm not sure where you can find it, but it's a very good movie about the political prisoners in Cuba right after the revolution. Prisons are terrible. They beat you up. They used to kill people in masses. I don't think they're doing that right now, but I can't confirm it because, you know, everything they hide it. Um, they don't feed you. Oh, I remember that I had a friend who went to prison. He told me that they used to put them in very um, small rooms, um, like the walls were very close to each other, so you had to be standing the whole time. It's very inhumane. They torture you. It, it's just inhumane. And then, I guess maybe another follow-up question, Neil. And this might be very obvious, but like, how does the United States compare to Cuba? Well, I don't think there is um, anything similar to Cuba in the U.S. Not that I can think of right now after talking so many bad things about communism. <laughs> but... If you compare it, I would say the U.S. is not only with Cuba, but the U.S. is the best country in the world. And I know that because I've been to Spain. I've been under a communist um, system, under a socialist system in Spain. I've been here in capitalism. And I have never seen so many people succeed. I have never seen so many people trying to get here. Just the freedom in this country... The, the fact that I'm here right now talking with you, Jack, that I'm saying everything I think and I'm not scared 
I'm not scared that they're listening, that they're going to come for me or or do something to my mom. That's just a peace of mind. The fact that here in this country I am able to study whatever I want to study, they don't choose for me. The fact that I'm able to be whatever I want to be, to say, to read what I want to read, to watch a movie and not be scared that the neighbors are going to hear and call the police on me. That's just the best thing ever. Well, I guess that's actually kind of crazy. A lot of stuff that I take for granted, you know, I just, I just, I just don't think about, you know. And so I guess my other question I, I do have kind of more along those lines. You've been in the States, the United States for a while now. And I guess my, my question is more of like, do you have fears or concerns that maybe the United States is going more down that road? And if so, what in particular? Yes, absolutely. First of all, I saw last year many people supporting Black Lives Matter. I understand the movement is going for, the movement is trying to look like they're supporting minorities, and that's great. I'm all for supporting everyone, right? To give everyone the same opportunities. But something that came up to my attention is that Black Lives Matter is actually a Marxist-Leninist organization, just like Fidel Castro's communism. Black Lives Matter's leaders are are friends with Maduro, the dictator from Venezuela. More recently, Black Lives Matter just said that everything that's going on in Cuba at this moment, all the protests and everything, is because of the embargo from the U.S. So what I'm seeing here is that this big organization that everyone or most people that I know are following is an organization that is actually communist, okay? that supports dictatorships, that supports killings. And that's something that scares me. It scares me that they're teaching kids about this ideology at school and that I I couldn't imagine my kids learning these things and coming home to me and telling me, um, I would like to live in this kind of society. Yes, equality is great, but don't mix things up. You have to have clear what you're following. You have to learn about the background of any organization you join. Another thing is that Facebook, Instagram, many social media platforms, they are doing censorship. And I've been a victim of that. Right now that I'm posting about Cuba a lot on Instagram, they have been little by little, how do you say, canceling some of my features on my app so that that I'm not able to share as much as I want. Really? Yes. Wow. Many many things I share, they said is fake and they take it off, even though I know it's true because I, I, I am Cuban and I know it's true. But now they don't take off Black Lives Matter's statement saying that everything that's going on in Cuba is because of the embargo. So I see big support for communism and very little support for others ide- other ideologies. Okay, because there are only one or two ideologies. No, there are many ideologies. But I see that there is too much support to communism, an ideology that supports terror, okay? So, yes, I'm scared that the U.S. is going that path. This concludes part one of my interview with Gabby. Please join us next time for part two. Until then, I'm your host, Jack Taggart. The views expressed in the moderate review are solely of the individuals participating and not necessarily of the organizations they are affiliated with. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please tell your friends 
and please follow us on Twitter at tmodrev, that is the letter T, mod, rev, one word. Until next time, I'm your host, Jack Taggart.